Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Now, here's your host, Nate Herbst. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm thrilled that you're tuned in again this week. And again, we get to talk with Dr. Keener. If you missed last week's interview with Dr. Craig Keener and his wife, Dr. Medine Keener, please go to godsolutionshow.com and click the Past Shows tab and get that interview with them. It was an incredible interview about their love story, which is an apologetic in the context of a culture that has forgotten what true love is really all about. You could also pick up their book, Impossible Love. Now we're going to talk to Dr. Keener about his 4,500-page commentary on Acts. If you don't know much about Dr. Keener, he is a professor of the New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary, known around the world as a meticulous scholar. He is a world-renowned apologist, and it is an incredible privilege to have him on the show today. So welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Craig Keener. It's great, great to be with you. Well, last week we talked about your and Medine's marriage and your book that you wrote together, Impossible Love. I would encourage people to buy that and to read it and to get a picture of an example of what marriage can be. In Christ, it can truly be wonderful. But in Christ, right, when we strive to do it our own way, we often uh, get quite the opposite of that. Today, we're going to look at something a lot different. Today, we're going to be talking about the book of Acts in the New Testament, and you've just written a 4,500-page volume on Acts, which basically has four volumes, but it is, if I'm not mistaken, it is the longest commentary on any Bible book in history. Is that correct? Um, as far as I, as far as I know, um, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I haven't read them all. I, I know, uh, um, Bernard of Clairvaux, I think he wrote a long one on Song of Solomon, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty long. Wow. And it, it's just such a gift to the, to the world and to Christians in general to have such a wealth of information at our fingertips. So thank you, Dr. Keener. Thank you, Craig, thank for you. your, your labor of love here. Okay, so can you give us just a brief picture? Obviously, that's impossible to do, but what, what's going on with, with this commentary? Why did you write it, and what's, what's your main focus here? I love Acts, and I just wanted to be uh, fairly thorough. It's something like 45,000 extra-biblical ancient references, um, references to ancient, ancient sources, and then... Wow. Um, it's over 10,000 secondary sources that I cited as well. Okay, and I want to talk about some of that. And, as and, we go. and, that, and that's not everything that's out there. I mean, I, I was selective, but oh, yeah. it took me a long time. Wow. I think a lot of people think, well, if it talks about miracles and if it's in the Bible, then we can't trust it. Is Acts a trustworthy book? Yeah, I mean, you read, you read other analogous historical works from antiquity, and we depend on them for all sorts of things. I mean, and, and you go back and you compare these other historical sources with one another when they're talking about the same events, and 
you 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 find so much where they're agreeing. I mean, clearly they're not writing fiction. I mean, a historian might get a detail wrong here, a detail wrong there, or something like that. Ancient historians or modern historians, but what you're dealing with is, you know, they're trying to give you what happened. They they want, you know, they often have their own interpretation of what happened, their own perspective on what happened, but they're using information solid actual information when they when they talk about it and there's no reason to treat acts differently it's not it's not a canonical bias or a biblical bias to say that um, Luke because he was a Christian historian uh, you know Luke could have written history in ways that you know polytheistic historians or um, or other historians Jewish historians could have written history. Uh, really, to say that Luke wrote it differently, that's where the burden of proof should be. I mean, if Luke is writing history, and we can verify many of Luke's claims by external sources, to treat Luke differently from other historians from the period is actually an anti-canonical bias. So is Luke a trustworthy historian? And we're talking about Luke who wrote Acts. Why should we trust Luke? Well, I mean, if you look at, at uh, where we can compare Luke with external sources, where we can compare Luke with Paul's letters, people often want to overemphasize the differences, but those differences are minor. They're the kind of differences you have, like when we have a biography of an ancient figure and we have letters from that ancient figure, say Cicero, or we have historical accounts of Cicero. I mean, it's the same kinds of differences you find in those, and yet... Everybody's glad to use that stuff about Cicero. You know, Alexander the Great, we have uh, Arian's biography of Alexander uh, written hundreds of years later. But Luke, I mean, some people date, you know, Acts maybe a couple generations later. I think that's really late. But even so, I mean, it's, it's so much less than most of our ancient sources. But I think, you know, we need to take seriously when Luke says we that he really was a traveling companion of Paul. And again, we're dealing with an anti-canonical bias when people say, oh, no, 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 the we can't, can't be meant that way, because that's exactly the way we would take it in any other ancient historical work. And in terms of the genre of Acts, scholars are widely agreed. Uh, the strong majority of scholars agree that Acts is a historical monograph. So we're looking at Luke as a historian, and we're talking today about Acts, but the question, of course, that, that a lot of people might ask goes back to the Gospels. Can we trust the Gospel, Luke? Well, in the same way, I mean, we, we would deal, uh, we, we would trust ancient biographers. Like, uh, I, I went back and compared uh, Suetonius and Plutarch, uh, their biographies of some figures with uh, Tacitus' treatment in his historical work of the same figures. And, I mean, clearly they are not just inventing stuff. They are they're recounting information. And in the case of the Gospels, we're dealing with works that are much closer in time to the figure about whom they speak than other, uh, most other ancient biographers. What that suggests is, again, that if people are not taking the Gospels seriously, then it's because of an anti-canonical bias. Well, it's in the Bible, so we don't trust it. Otherwise, I mean, if we're just taking them away, we would take other ancient historical documents. Oh, yeah, we can learn a whole lot about Jesus from this. 
And then in the case of Luke, we, you know, up front, he tells us some of his methodology. He talks about sources that were available in his time, written sources, apparently, and, and uh, being able to consult eyewitnesses, uh, getting uh, oral material that, that went back to the eyewitnesses. Uh, he has thorough knowledge of it because he had participated in it uh, from, from early on. And you can actually compare what he does with Mark. You know, he, he cleans up Mark's grammar some, but, uh, you know, Mark has kind of a, a less, uh, a more popular level grammar. But Luke is not, uh, he doesn't, like, take Mark's stories and radically rewrite them. He's, he's using the information that's there in, in Mark's stories. I mean, sometimes he'll add a detail like, you know, stretch out your hand, well, it's the right hand, something like that. But, I mean, Luke is basically following his sources where we're able to test him. And so some would say, well, we can't trust Acts or Luke for that, for that matter, just because they have supernatural phenomena. What would you say to those critics? Again, we're dealing with, with a bias because, you know, you're just presupposing that supernatural phenomena can't happen. In fact, historians, when they are writing about people who are known for um, supernatural phenomena, uh, whether it's, you know, if you're, if you're writing... Uh, about modern Russian history, you know, you, you can't leave out Rasputin. If you're writing about uh, uh, Congo in the in the mid uh, early to mid 20th century, I mean, you can't leave out uh, Simon Kimbangu. And you know, if you don't believe in miracles, you still have to report people experienced what they thought were miracles through through these figures. Well, looking at, at Jesus, I mean, every stratum of gospel tradition, and not only. Christian sources, but also non-Christian sources, Josephus, uh, believed that Jesus was experienced as a miracle worker by his contemporaries. Um, Geza Vermish, an Oxford uh, Hungarian Jewish scholar, has, has uh, made that case very strongly, and the majority of scholars agree with that. Uh, even, even those who were detractors, like later on, uh, many of the rabbis or the early rabbis and uh, Celsus, who was a, a pagan opponent of the Christians, they agreed that Jesus did what we would call miracles. They, they said, no, but this wasn't by God's power, this was by sorcery or something like that. But they didn't, they didn't even try to deny it. It's just, it's, it's one of the best established facts that we have about Jesus. Hmm. Okay, so... And, and as far as whether or not they can be explained as miracles, uh, you know, sometimes if you're using... Occam's razor, looking for the simplest explanation. I mean, that is often the most economical explanation for the kinds of things, the clusters of, uh, you know, raisings from the dead or healings of blindness or things like that that we have reported in the Gospels. People have often said, well, you can't depend on those because, I mean, these things, no eyewitness would ever say things like that. Well, that's a naive approach. We have hundreds of millions of people today who claim to have been eyewitnesses of miracles, some of them quite as dramatic as what you have in the Gospels. So you can, you can agree with them, you can disagree with them, but you can't say that eyewitnesses can't report experiences like that. So you, as a footnote, <laughs> wrote a 1,200-page volume titled Miracles. It was originally a footnote to the Acts Commentary. Now it's its yeah. own work. But 
in that book, you establish the case that, that Hume's criticism is invalid. We can't just say that miracles don't happen. We can't write these off. And as, as a researcher, we can't hold that bias, except right. with a presupposition of naturalism, correct? Right. I mean, you, you can presuppose what you want, but don't say you've proved it when you're simply <laughs> recycling your presupposition. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can get more about The God Solution Show at godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com. Okay, so what amount of acts have you correlated with first century historical records, evidence, etc.? Okay, for anything, when you're looking at something 2,000 years ago, you know, obviously most historical evidence that existed back then no longer exists, Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of things were never written down to begin with. So you can't, with any work of history, you can't correlate everything with external sources. What you have to look at is where you have external sources where you can can compare with. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it becomes a lot stronger in the second half of Acts. Of course, you know, in Luke's first volume, we have a whole lot that we can compare with, with Mark mm-hmm. uh, and, and with the material that overlaps with Matthew and, uh, and some other sources. But in the case of uh, the second part of Acts, we've got all sorts of things. I mean, for example, you know, we know that Felix, before whom Paul appears in Acts 24, uh, starting in 23 and then on into 24, Felix uh, was, was the Roman governor at that time. Felix, over the course of time, married three different princesses. He had three different wives at different periods of his life. Uh, this period of his life was Drusilla. Acts gets that exactly right. Uh, when Felix is recalled, his successor is Festus. Uh, Acts gets that exactly right. Uh, even, even the way that they behave fits the way we would expect characters to behave, like Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12, or Felix, from, from what we know about them from Josephus, or in some cases other sources. So you, you've got a lot of material like that. Even, even Luke's titles for local officials, like Politarchs in Macedonia, I mean, he gets the titles correct in each, each location. So, you know, where we can test him, we find so much confirmation that I think, I mean, Luke didn't just know which sources would survive, so... If, if Luke turns out to be correct where we can test him in so many cases, then I think what we need to do is give him the benefit of the doubt in the cases where we can't test him with external sources. And there are a lot of things from parallel literature which don't you know, pass judgment either way on historical reliability, but they help us to understand the text better or visualize the text better, you know, what we can know about Roman, uh, uh, well, the, the ships that were involved in the grain trade, uh, and uh, just the uh, even even the the um, Acts 27 when the ship is is moving at sea, it's it's so intriguing to look at how it fits what we know of Mediterranean weather conditions mm-hmm. at that time of year, uh, and and when uh, a storm would arise, uh, they 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 had harbored in a certain place in the south southern coast of Crete, and if you, if you went out a little way from the harbor, uh, ju- just a little way, you wouldn't be able to see storm clouds coming from the north because they were blocked by the mountain, but you went out a little bit further, you'd see the storm coming, but you might be caught too late, and that's what
what happened to them is they were crossing the bay. The storm is coming from over the the mountains, and you know they were trying to make their way to a, a better harbor, which would be more con- more conducive to the, uh, the the safety of the ship and also a nicer place for the sailors to hang out during the winter when it wasn't really safe to travel. But they were caught in the storm and blown out uh, to uh, Kauda, an island on the way, where it gave them just enough time to pull the offboard life raft on board the ship. And, I mean, everything that's described there fits what we know of the geography, fits what we know of the, the weather conditions. There's no way... Somebody would have known that without having gone through those things, uh, or at least you know they're using a source of somebody who went through those things. So what do skeptical scholars say? Well, maybe somebody went through those things, and it was a source, but it wasn't really Paul. I mean, that, that's all they can do. Mm-hmm. It's all they have left to complain about. But I mean, if you look at it from a not an anti-canonical bias, but just the way we would look at another historical source looks like the author actually was there. This author claims to be a traveling companion of Paul. And, you know, just such a detailed account. But we have so much like that in the book of Acts. So how does this relate to the historical reliability of our faith? You know, Christians have always been challenged that you're just believing a myth, etc. I think the American atheists have these billboards that, you know, say Christmas is a myth, Easter is a myth, all these things like that. Now, we as Christians, we're familiar with having to defend our faith on quite a frequent basis, especially for those on the college campus. What does this do for our confidence in our faith? What can we take away as we consider the historical reliability of Acts, the historical reliability of Luke as a historian, and even how that relates to the gospel of Luke and our faith in general? You know, scholars, scholars debate how historical some details are. But the idea that it's myth, you know, I, I spend a lot of time reading ancient Greek myths. I mean, I enjoy reading the myths. I also enjoy reading ancient historiography. There's absolutely no comparison with ancient mythography. Nobody wrote myths about characters who lived just a generation or two before. Nobody wrote historical novels about characters who lived just a generation or two before. I mean, most novels were romances with fictitious characters, but in, in, the, in the rare instances where they used um, actual historical characters, they were characters who lived centuries earlier, and they didn't try to go back and do research to get the historical details right for that context. I mean, the Gospels fit their context. They fit what we know of ancient uh, Jewish practices, Jewish customs, Jewish thought. Uh, Jesus, even some of the figures of speech that he uses, like a camel going through the eye of a needle, or um, the, the, the mustard seed, or uh, moving mountains, were actually figures of speech that were used by Jewish sages in this period. Some of the things that Jesus debated with the Pharisees like the divorce question or the inside or the outside of cups, were, were being debated precisely in his generation between the two major schools of Pharisees. So what we have from the ancient sources actually supports the reliability of the Gospels. 
Now, it may not support somebody who wants a, a really strict, you know, everything has to be in chronological order, but ancient biographies weren't expected to be in chronological order. You know, so, you know, people who try to put a straitjacket on the Gospels and, and make them read like the way we would write a modern biography or modern historiography, you know, they're approaching it anachronistically, and that's true whether they're on the far right or the far left. But, you know, if you're just approaching it in terms of ancient biography, ancient historiography, the Gospels and the Book of Acts are highly reliable sources, completely different from novels, and just not even in the same ballpark as ancient mythography. There is a great book on this for any listeners that might be interested. One of your colleagues over at Asbury, John Oswalt, is he still there? Yes. Wonderful. Well, he wrote The Bible Among the Myths, which I loved. I thought it was a great book. Um, he's a, an Old Testament prof there. So Yes. Yeah. And in terms of the historical reliability of the Gospels, I did a book called uh, The Historical Jesus of the Gospels. And, of course, many others have, have written on that, including my, my colleague Ben Witherington and uh, Craig Evans and uh, a number of other scholars now, we are often considered to the right of the center, but I think we're a lot closer to the center than, say, the Jesus Seminar is. <laughs> I mean, I think the Jesus Seminar tends to be pretty far to the left, but the Jesus Mythers are not even in the same, yeah. they're not even in the same ballpark with, with normal biblical scholarship. Yeah, Ehrman called them recently, anyone who would doubt the historicity of Jesus Christ called them mythicists which uh, I thought was, was a wonderful um, admission from him. Of course, he wouldn't deny the historicity of Jesus Christ as a historical figure and all that. Now, let me ask you a different question about Ehrman. He claims that Orthodox Christianity simply won out over time, that it was never really what we began with. Now, of course, Acts is the story of the beginning of the Church. So right. where is he wrong? Bart Ehrman would agree that the Gospels are biographies, I think, I haven't looked at him on this, but uh, or at least I don't remember. I think he would agree that Acts is a historical monograph. Um, but, and of course, he and I would both agree you don't judge those by the standards of modern historiography and modern biography. Um, but obviously Ehrman is more skeptical than, than I would be, considerably more skeptical on, on many points. Um, but, yeah, he definitely agrees Jesus existed. Now, as far as orthodoxy, you know, if you're defining orthodoxy in terms of, you know, being able to distinguish homoousios and homoousios, you know, those were issues that hadn't come up in the first century. So, you know, you don't project that back into the first century. But at the same time, if you're looking at, you know, Jesus being divine or something like that, well, certainly Jesus' resurrection, it's not debated in our first century sources in terms of the, the Christians. All of them seem to have been on the same page with that. We don't really have any sources that I see where, where they were debating whether Jesus even was divine. I mean, what you have the debates about, you know, do we need to circumcise Gentiles and so on. The second century, after living memory of the uh, first witnesses had passed, you, you're, you're getting more diversity you have Gnostics who are influenced especially by uh, Platonism and, and so on. But these, these are things that are easily distinguishable from the, the, the Jewish context of the original Gospels. 
nobody, I, I think nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, there's probably somebody, but virtually all scholars acknowledge that the Gospels that are not in the canon that we have today are later than the Gospels that are in the canon. I mean, the the uh, one of the, uh, <clears throat> probably the earliest one we have that's not in the canon is, is Gospel of Thomas, but that's like, you know, probably half a century after the Gospel of John, and in well after living memory of the eyewitnesses. You can argue that maybe there was an earlier source, but, you know, it's it's clearly not earlier itself, and it's got Gnosticizing tendencies in it, which, you know, the Gnosticizing tendencies are from, um, we don't have those documented before the second century. So mm-hmm. um, there there. are, yeah, anyway, I would I would certainly question. Uh, there was there was some diversity in early Christianity, but it wasn't generally in the form that uh, some people would like it to have been. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share with us about this work on Acts or any of your other work? When I read as a as a historian, I'm using historiographic methods. That doesn't mean I don't also believe. Other things as a Christian. What I've been doing with some of my my doctoral students, you know, people sometimes say, well, ancient biography or ancient historiography, you know, the line between that and fiction is pretty thin. So what we did, we we actually went and looked at some ancient biographies, and different ones of them focused on different ancient biographies, comparing them with external sources to see where we could corroborate them. And actually, you know, and and I said, Wherever the evidence leads, go for it. Because if that means okay, well, we need to we need to allow more flexibility, then we'll do that. And, and you know, wherever the evidence goes, let's follow it. And they all came back with you know, there's there's a degree of flexibility, but basically, historians and biographers saw themselves as working with information that was available to them. They were not freely inventing things the way novelists were, and. Again, if we're going to treat the Gospels the way we would treat other sources, and again, the Gospels are among the the and, and Acts are among you know the earliest records. I mean, they're they're uh, about somebody who lived recently. If we're going to take them the way we would take the other ancient sources, we need to really respect them as historical sources. And when when we don't have any evidence one way or the other, we need to. We need to say, okay, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, like we would with other sources. Absolutely. Okay, so maybe you can't share, maybe you can. What are, what are your next projects that you're excited uh, to be working on? Well, a few books just came out. Mind of the Spirit, mm-hmm. which is on the theme of the mind or uh-huh. cognition in Paul's letters. Uh, also looking at something called spirit hermeneutics. You know, what I've been talking about mainly here with historicity, I've been talking about it from a standpoint of just, you know, the way we do historiography in general. But as Christians, how do we read the text? How do we hear God's voice in the text? And then just just came out is the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, where I did the New Testament notes. John Walton did the Old Testament notes. Wow. Next, I'm going to uh, be working on a commentary on Galatians for Cambridge. Wow. I have the research just almost done and plan to start writing it probably hopefully next week. Well, Craig, thank you so much for your work, for the kingdom, for the Lord. 
Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your example of godly marriage. We talked to Medine last week. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Keener. Before we close out the show, I would encourage you to go to craigkeener.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-K-E-E-N-E-R.com, craigkeener.com. And please pick up some of his books. They're incredible resources. I don't know of anyone that is quite as meticulous as him, so pick up some of his resources. As we close, I just want to remind you of the truth of the gospel. We can know with confidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he died for our sins and that he rose again. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, please do that right now. Tell him, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died for my sins. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for conquering death so that I could have eternal life. Well, I hope that you'll go to GodSolutionShow.com and get this interview and all of our past shows there. You should definitely check out the last interview we did with Dr. Keener on miracles while you're there. It's been a couple of years now. Anyway, thanks so much. And while you're at GodSolutionShow.com, maybe consider partnering with us to keep the show going. And let us know what you think about the show with the comment section there. Thanks so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.